Well, you might not know this, but uh, today is the second anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread. You might be wondering, how did 15 days turn into two years? But, uh, <laughs> but, but no, seriously, you know, this is the second anniversary of that decision to lock down for 15 days. And then we know that 15 days turned into 30 days uh, to slow the spread. And then the 30 days to slow the spread turned into a, a, a year of lockdowns followed by, you know, the introduction of potential vaccine mandates and these sorts of things. And, and no doubt that, that we've experienced two years of confusion. Uh, we've experienced two years of accusations of medical misinformation, uh, two years of, of shutdown YouTube channels, two years of, you know, data suppression and coercion and, and two years sadly, uh, of losing loved ones to COVID-19. I have no doubt that we've all experienced loss uh, over the past two years. And, and, and so much so that, you know, I just, I, I kind of came to that place where I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm so sick of seeing it, especially as we consider the treatments and, and the, the things that are available to us so that people don't have to die of this virus. And, and, and so, you know, I've, I've been in communication with doctors over the last two years. I've been in communication with, you know, with uh, statisticians and analysts and all kinds of people, you know, as I've just attempted to understand all of this for myself and to understand, you know, decisions that I should be making and how I should be leading a church, you know, uh, and this might be, you know, new information to you, but there is no book on pastoring through a pandemic. I'm thinking about writing one, <laughs> but there wasn't a manual that I could just turn to, uh, you know, to, to say, oh, this is how you, uh, you know, manage a pandemic. There, there was no manual, but there is Emmanuel, uh, Jesus Christ. And, and thankfully he has been guiding us uh, through this time. But also with the help of uh, very intelligent uh, professionals, you know, who have provided me guidance uh, over the past two years of I, as I've sought to make many decisions. And, and one of those influences is, is here with us tonight. And so I'm, I'm happy to introduce to you uh, the, a person that I'd like to discuss the pandemic with. Uh, and of course, I'm talking about Ames Smith. So doctor, come on up if you would. So we met at uh, Calvary Austin about uh, 2000, right? That's right. So, uh, so you were partying like it was 1999 the year before. <laughs> exactly. Not quite like that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so you uh, came to Calvary Austin uh, uh, in, in the year 2000 and uh, did, uh, did the, uh, uh, you know, what was that, Y2K? Did that have anything to do with, with the situation? Not really. Not, not at all. Good. So <laughs> some of you youngsters are like, what's Y2K? Never mind. So, uh, so I actually, you know, so from 2000 until 2005, you know, we had gotten to spend time together and get to know each other. And, and then, of course, you know, uh, your, your wife, Charlotte, uh, who I think is the smart one in the family, if yes, I'm, if I'm yes, correct about that. Yes, the better that. half. Yes. But, uh, and, and then, uh, but then also, uh, I remember Brendan and I getting to come and, and babysit uh, Zachary, right. uh, who now goes by Tyler. Correct. You know, wonderful boy. And, uh, and, and you've uh, since uh, had uh, a daughter, Victoria, who's already at college. Yes. So the time flies. Yes. So, uh, so, so I left Calvary Austin in 2005 and uh, took over this church. And then in 2012, you guys decided to make a move to Seattle. To Seattle. Right. And, and yeah, you know, at that point in time, you know, we had kind of lost touch, you know, and, and uh, I, there were a few times that we connected uh, throughout those years. 
But, uh, but then we reconnected, uh, what was it, about a year ago, I think? I think so. And, and you... And I, I think I had seen your video series, The Word. And you wanted to rebuke me. And just exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exhort you and say, I'm teaching. <laughs> so yeah, we reconnected oh, about a year ago. And, and since then, uh, we, we've been meeting on a weekly basis with a, a group of professionals that are considering these topics about, you know, pandemic vaccine-related issues. Right. And it's been a, a time of encouragement. What, what is the title that you've given to this group? We called it the Watchmen. Yeah. But not to be confused just, with the uh, superheroes. Yes. <laughs> uh, just trying to consider everything that's happening in the world and uh, understand it from a biblical perspective. Very good. Very good. So, uh, and and the, the the concept of the Watchmen coming from the scriptures about how you know the Watchmen on the tower are supposed to see danger coming and then warn everybody else. Right. Right. No. And trying to prayerfully understand how to do that the best. Yeah. Excellent. Can you give us a, a little uh, of your uh, professional background? Sure. Um, I'm a native of Houston, Texas, and uh, basically went to medical school at University of Texas in Galveston, and then uh, did a surgical training, six years of surgical residency at Baylor in Houston under Michael DeBakey. I don't know if anybody's heard of him. Um, I'm sure we all have. And then <laughs> a lot of people haven't these days, but uh, anyway. Um, and then my wife is also a physician. She was born and raised in Austin, and uh, she is a physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist. So she, and she's quadruple boarded. <laughs> and uh, so she treats head injuries, spinal cord injuries, strokes, uh, those types of things. People used to say that I would operate on them and she would get them better. So, um, but we, we both started private practice in 1990 in Austin. And so we were here for 22 years. And then it was literally a God thing, but we had an opportunity and a door opened in Seattle. Um, and really my professional career was not the main thing, but that was kind of a blessing that was added onto it. And I was uh, director of the breast surgery program. So I'm, I'm a general surgeon. I've done all types of surgery, including trauma surgery. Um, but I, throughout my career, I've done a whole lot of breast cancer surgery. And so they called me up there to be director of their program and then also director of the hereditary cancer program. So small percentage of cancers literally are genetic. So uh, we did that for the last 10 years. But over the last two years, just there's been a real discernment about things that are, are happening, uh, especially up in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot happening in Seattle, huh? Yes. Chop Chaz. Yeah. No, I was, I was really excited, you know, when you moved. And, and uh, you know, being that my mom died of breast cancer, you know, I, I always had a real respect for, you know, the work that you were doing. And, and it was you know, just close to my heart when I discovered, you know, what your focus was and, and then learning about, you know, uh, you know, what you're doing in Seattle and just, you know, becoming a, a director over other surgeons and, you know, just impressive. Just, uh, and, uh, and so when we reconnected, it was, you know, just really a divine appointment, you know, that, uh, you know, just to be able to you know, spend more time hearing from you and, and encouraging you and, and, uh, it was for me. Yeah. <laughs> Likewise. And, uh, you know, can you give us just a brief testimony of, of your, uh, conversion? Sure. Um, so 
I grew up in the in a church. I grew up in the Episcopalian church, and uh, but it was very formal. I was an acolyte, uh, so saw a cross, um, had communion, but I I never really understood the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, I thought it was all about just being good, and so I think I was a pretty uh, red-blooded, all-American kind of person. Went to college, you know, I was on a professional track. Didn't get into a whole lot of trouble, fortunately. Um, but then, actually, it was through marriage that kind of led to a lot of this because we had a lot of challenges in our marriage. Um, and I, I heard a Calvary pastor speaking on the radio, and I was a doctor going to five hospitals. I went to, you know, Brackenridge, South Austin, Seton Northwest, Seton, St. David's, and I was just driving from place to place. I never listened to the radio, but I turned it on one day for one moment. I have no idea why, but it landed on Kixel 970, wow. and I heard Pastor Allen, you know, teaching. And so I shared that with my wife, and unknown to me, because we weren't really communicating well at that point, about a year later, I found out that she had also been listening. And so she ultimately decided, she said, I'm going to go check that church out. <laughs> and she went over there. And uh, in our tradition, we were I was in a suit and tie and very formal and not noticing anybody around me at that point. Um, the second time I was there, the pastor gave an altar call. And uh, I thought it was probably going to freak my wife out. You know, what is my husband doing? We've been married all this time. We've been going to church. But I went forward, and it was the first time I really understood the gospel, that wow. it was, you know, done for us completely. And so uh, weight was lifted. Yeah. yeah, it's finished. So, and ever since then, you know, I have, I have sensed that God has been directing all things. So, and that helps, especially in a surgical practice, because um, I pray before any operation. And I've had opportunities when it's appropriate and I sense that there's a green light to even pray with patience. Yeah. So, man. Well, that's that's incredible. And uh, you know, it, it was uh, we only made fun of you a little bit for showing up to church in a suit. But, uh... <laughs> I quickly learned it was probably about the third or fourth time I noticed. Hey, nobody else is wearing a tie, so mm-hmm. I I came in shorts, and I was a Calvary person. We just thought you were a Baptist. <laughs> yeah. But uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, so, you know, over the past two years, you know, you've been following the news. I'm sure we've all been following the, the narrative. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we have been told uh, over the last two years is a very simple statement that I completely agree with, uh, which is follow the science. What do you think about that statement? And how do you I, think that's been implemented? I agree with that statement, yes. but I don't think that's been practiced. Is that right? Yes. So, so in what way do you think that the people who tell us to follow the science haven't followed the science? Well, um, I think that in my mind, the most glaring thing that I see would be just some of the claims that have been made. You know, that, um, and I think it's important to bring out at this point because we may be talking, you know, somewhat about controversial things. And I, I know your heart, it's my heart too, that not to be dogmatic uh, these are these are based on my background as a physician of wanting to help people, wanting to be honest. Um, 
but there have been some gross violations in my view of medical ethics. Mm -hmm. So, but in terms of science, um, so I was going to say these things are maybe polarizing, but that's not the goal. So, uh, because different people may reach different conclusions specifically related to the vaccines. And so to make it, make it very clear, I'm personally not an anti-vaxxer. Um, and I have had, you know, vaccines all the way up until this most recent one. Uh, but even defining it as a vaccine, I find that that's not truly scientifically honest because it's not truly a vaccine. So to call the COVID-19 vaccines, specifically the mRNA vaccines, vaccines is unscientific? Well, um, I just think it's not, it's not completely accurate. Yeah. Would you, would you say that it's more of a uh, therapeutic? Um, I think that some people would classify it even as a gene therapy. A gene therapy. Gotcha. And, and we'll consider here in a little while what that means and, and how that might affect us. Right. Yeah. So follow the science hasn't really been uh, embraced by the people who tell us to follow the science. And, and that's one of the things that I've seen in the narrative for the last two years is you follow the science, here's the science. We even had one uh, famous doctor, Dr. Fauci, claim to be science, right? That, that if you don't listen to him, then you're not listening to science. What, what, did you hear that? Um, I don't recall hearing that specifically. Right. But I think that in, in the scientific community, it is appropriate to question things. You know, there, there can be differences of opinion. Scientifically uh, speaking. Scientifically speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, which is part of the scientific process, right? So you right. have your observation, right? You have your tests. You have your repeatable. You know, you, you repeat the tests over and over and see if you get the same results. And if you do, eventually, you can say that scientifically speaking, X is true, right? Right. So if you don't follow that that scientific method, so to speak, then you can't really say you're following the science. When somebody says the science is settled, what, what do you think about a statement like that? Well, I think that I always go back to data. You know, what, what does the data show? And, and I think that, in my view, there's been a misrepresentation of what the data really shows, mm. or in some cases, even an omission of what the data shows. Mm. So that's a concern for me. Another part of the narrative has been, uh, we're all in this together. So take your medicine. Do you think that is valid, or do you think that's manipulation? Well, I think that if if we were all in this together, then I think that there would be uniformity or unanimity of opinion, and I don't think that that's true. Mm. So I think we are all in this together as long as you agree with what is told. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the, the group that uh, screams diversity is quick to divide from those who don't scream diversity with them, right? So they want diversity right. so long as we all agree on what we're being diverse about. Right. Which is just a contradiction. Right. Would you agree that uh, we've watched uh, you know, at least a year's worth of uh, a vaccine compulsion, coercion? Of coercion, yes, yes. Um, and I... I think that that's one area where, as a physician, um, 
I'm very familiar with just basic medical ethics. And uh, one very strong principle of medical ethics is informed consent. And informed consent means that every person should have the ability to get all the information that they need to have about any treatment or procedure. And then they have the ability to make, to give consent. So, um, and another thing that goes along with that would be patient autonomy, which just means that I have the ability to decide on my own what I think is helpful for my body and what is not helpful. Mm. And so, and I've, I've discussed with you earlier, it would be like me as a surgeon telling a woman with breast cancer that who has a small breast cancer, you know, easily treatable with a pretty minor surgical procedure that you need a radical mastectomy. And, uh, and by the way, it's safe and effective. Okay, when do you like to schedule? You know, my job as a surgeon would have been much easier. <laughs> so, uh, and by the way, if you don't get it scheduled, then you might have, you know, might lose your employment. So um, there's something wrong with that, you know, uh, because actually any intervention we do has some risk. You have to admit that. Um, I was telling Bungie about this earlier. I know a family where I actually treated a mother and two daughters that all had breast cancer, and I did their surgery for all three. And um, as it turns out, we tested them for the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene mutations, and they did not have those. But there's another thing that we weren't universally testing for at that time called a BART mutation, and that is positive in 1% of those who might otherwise test, test negative. So, um, and that's why it wasn't included on the panel at that time. But anyway, I tested for the BART gene mutation, and they had it. Mm. So they, for them, that was 100%. So it really is um, vastly inappropriate and unethical in my view uh, even if a risk is only 1%, but if that risk exists, then I should have the ability to say, you know what, that's too much of a risk. I don't think I want to do that. Also, part of my role as a surgeon is to inform people of options. You know, yeah. okay, your option is mastectomy. <laughs> that's not really informing. Right. Yeah, so the, uh, the no jab, no job coercion that, right. that we've seen attempted upon America uh, and executed in some some ways, uh, you know, not that the mandate's finally passed. Of course, you know, most uh, constitutional uh, scholars, you know, were were pretty upfront that this wouldn't pass through. Uh, but still, a lot of you know large companies with a hundred plus employees and went ahead and, providers. and 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 right, yeah. So that that which it, is it did not work. a minor deal, right? It's, it, do, it does <laughs> yeah. still apply to people like yeah. yourself, yeah. Which, uh, which kind of has something to do with why you moved from Seattle to uh, uh, the land of uh, potatoes. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful land, Idaho. <laughs> yes. Um, well, and uh, the bottom line there, too, is that there is something called the Nuremberg Code, which basically we learned from the Nuremberg trials that you, it's not okay to do something experimental for somebody against their will. And you could say that, well, that's an extreme case, and obviously it was. But 
the whole concept of experimental, in my mind, also includes the fact that we have barely over a year of data about what has happened with these these vaccines, if you want to call it that. Um, and the short-term results have not been good, but we don't know the long-term results. Right. I mean, tell me what's going to happen five years from now. We don't know. So, uh, so anyway, it's a breach of ethical considerations on a number of levels. Mm. But, and so for me personally, I was in a thriving practice. I mean, I really, <laughs> praise the Lord, I was top of my game. It was really doing well and loved my colleagues up there. Um, excellent, you know, medical environment up there. But essentially, I was told that, okay, you have to do this, or, you know, otherwise you do need to get an exemption. That was an option. Um, I did apply for a religious exemption. I got an exemption. But the thing about that is, even after getting that, I had an email that um, you have an exemption, but be advised, we consider this an essential part of your employment, and we may... (laughs) let you go um, without notice, something like, something to that effect. So there was always that just kind of strong arm feel to right. it. And the other thing that I, I thought was not really appropriate uh, was that there was a requirement that those who are not vaccinated would be tested weekly, whereas the ones who were vaccinated were not required to And the thing that doesn't add up about that is that we know that both groups can still get the infection and still can transmit the infection. So that's that was discriminatory. And and which is why you have a hard time calling this a vaccine, because up until, you know, a year ago, vaccines would keep you from getting the virus. Right. There was a change of the definition. They did. The CDC has changed the definition of vaccine and vaccination to match what's happening with this jab rather than maintaining the same definition and then renaming this to a therapeutic or a gene therapy or something along those lines. Yeah. Seems, uh, seems like we have bureaucrats making medical decisions for us. Is that a fair assessment? I think so. It's just um, the, the aspect that's really interesting to me is just that this is, of course, happening globally. Yeah. So, um, in multiple countries, and I, I do think there's very clear evidence um, that in some countries it's much more developed than it is here, where, for instance, in New Zealand, they have a, a light system where green light means you can go anywhere in the country, yellow light, uh, and that means you're fully vaccinated, uh, yellow light means you can go to some places, and I think that means you're partially vaccinated. You could read up on this. But red light means you stay in your place. And so the question is, is that ultimately where we're moving? Yeah. And despite the fact that all three of those groups could be carrying the virus. Right. And in fact, if you look at data from highly vaccinated countries, um, real good population studies out of Israel, Scotland, UK, uh, some other places. But despite very high percentage of population vac- vaccination rates, 
they still are spiking cases. That's right. So there's, and I'm, I'm all for doing whatever's going to um, help the community at large, but there's nothing in that science that proves to me as a thoughtful person that that's helping. In fact, it's really, you know, not helping at all. Sure. China's going back into lockdown right now. So if you're wondering, well, why are we having this conversation right now? Lockdown, lockdowns are over, right? Are they? I, you know, China's about to lock everything back down. I think they, they may have already. So, you know, are, uh, you know, are we going to lock back down after the midterms? Well, we'll, and, we'll see. <laughs> and I, we'll see. Yeah. I guess it depends on and who I, wins. I think there's a lot of very good evidence. You were talking about the Barrington, the Great Barrington Report. That's right. Uh, there are very thoughtful, analytic kind of people that have studied the outcomes, you know, from the lockdowns, and they're not good. They're not good. Right. Yeah, and, and yet uh, dissenting opinions like uh, those who created this Barrington Declaration, these, these professionals are being silenced, their arguments suppressed, if they produce a YouTube video, like I'm expecting our YouTube stream to get shut down any time right now, but uh, you know, if they produce a video that doesn't flow with the narrative, then these people are canceled. We've had stuff. We've been kicked off Vimeo. We've been kicked off of YouTube. You know, we've had to bounce different channels around, and you know, just because they'll say medical misinformation, we respond every single time. Show us where the medical misinformation is. We would love to correct the video and re-upload. Right. We will right. correct whatever's wrong. You know, fix what's wrong in the video, and then, and and then produce a, a new video with with the corrections. Right? right? We're willing to do that if it's truly wrong. Just show us what's wrong and show us the evidence that it is wrong. Right. I've got no problem correcting something that's wrong. You, you know. So, uh, but they never, they will never identify what the medical misinformation is or what the science is that actually supports their, their, uh, uh, you know, their arguments. So, and, so go ahead. And the issue I have with that is one of the things I love about how you do things is you, you get back to the actual studies and the actual reports and quote people. And so um, I think it would be good to consider what the CDC says about some of yeah. these things. I've quoted you know? myself before, but nobody wants to hear me. <laughs> so. I quote you all the time. <laughs> Bungie said this. <laughs> They're like, Who? All right, so let's talk about this uh, Great Barrington Declaration. Let's just consider some of the minds you know, behind this, uh, uh, this position. Uh, first of all, Dr. Martin Kulldorff. He's a professor of medicine at Harvard University, little, little college. Um, he's a biostatistician. He's an epidemiologist, so this is in his wheelhouse. Uh, he has expertise in detecting and monitoring infectious disease outbreaks and vaccine safety evaluations. This is not someone who is, you know, out of their right. depth, you know, th- this is right in his wheelhouse. And, and he's got a real problem with the lockdowns, and he's got a real problem with, with the uh, vaccine coercions. Uh, there's Dr. Sunetra Gupta, uh, professor of Oxford University, another little college, you know. Uh, he's an epidemiologist with expertise in immuno- uh, immunology, uh, vaccine development, and mathematical modeling of infectious diseases. There's Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. He's professor at Stanford University Medical School. He's a physician, epidemiologist, health economist, public health policy expert focusing on infectious diseases and vulnerable populations. So, so this, this uh, great Barrington Declaration was written by these three individuals. Yeah. 
I think that these might be professionals <laughs> in the world of epidemiology. Right. They might know something about a pandemic, you know, and, and a virus, right? Um, and, and, uh, and they have grave concerns, and this is, this is something that they, they wrote here, that they have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies and recommend an approach we call focused protection, which gets into, you know, actually protecting the most vulnerable people, you know, right. the ones who actually need the therapeutics versus those who will get it, have the sniffles for a few days and, and go on living, Right, right. Um, so, so this declaration has actually been signed by more than 900,000 people from 44 different countries, and yet there's email proof, email proof that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Francis Collins tried to silence this declaration. We have the receipts on this, that they actually went in and attempted to silence this declaration yeah. because it questions the mainstream government-approved narrative. Right. That's not science. To, to, to ignore what some scientists are saying because it doesn't agree with other scientists. I mean, that's not science. Right. Uh, you're also aware of the FLCCC? Yes, yes. Fan of those guys? I sure gals? am. I sure am. Uh, Frontline uh, COVID critical care group. I, I'm actually part of that alliance. Yep. So, yes. And um, just for those of you who don't know, that's... Um, you can actually go to their website, and they do have a number of things um, with articles, actually, you know, um, to back it up uh, about effective treatments. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a doctor. They won't even let me play one on TV, you know. But... <laughs> you look like a doctor. <laughs> well. <laughs> so, you know, <clears throat> so many jokes and just, just nope, nope. <laughs> Self-editing. All right. So uh, Pierre Corey, mm -hmm. you know, basically started the uh, uh, FLCCC, uh, a couple of other guys uh, along with him. And, uh, and, you know, being, being that I'm not a doctor and, and yet have very strong opinions, uh, uh, you know, about what I think the best treatments are for people, you know, I, I do my best to try to, you know, hold at bay my opinions. And I've directed many, many people to the FLCCC to go and find a doctor who, you know, in whatever area they're in. So, you know, I've talked to people all over, you know, and, and when, I, when I find someone that can't get some of these, you know, alternative uh, treatments and whatnot, you know, that's the first place I send them is to go look at the list of doctors at the FLCCC. Uh, and, and that way they can find, you know, uh, you know, doctors in their area, you know, pharmacies that can provide uh, what they need. But, uh, but, but these guys like Pierre Corey and, and others like yourself have essentially been silenced. Because guys like you and gals, you know, in the, of the same mindset in, in these, you know, medical professions are silenced if, it, if you don't line up with be quiet and take your vaccine. It, it's like you're supposed to say that or, you know, you're engaging in medical misinformation. Right. That, if I were a doctor, that would be extremely offensive to me. It's challenging. Yeah. It really is. It really is. But, um, and I, I think that it would be good to talk about some of the spiritual aspects too, because um, I do think that there are, there is a deception going on. Right. And honestly, again, I've I have never myself been a somebody that would have second guessed anything that medi 
medical experts would have told me. Right. I would have never done that. Uh, but, but through a number of, for a number of different reasons, I just started discerning that there's, there are things that are not <laughs> adding up here. And I think my, my biggest concern is, and again, I, I support anybody if they review all of this on their own, study it, and certainly for anybody who decided to have the, the vaccine, I'm not holding that against anybody. Right. I think that's their informed decision. I'm really speaking for myself, and, um, but also for my loved ones, because I just would at least want them to be aware of these things. But my, my biggest concern has to do with what we see on the VAERS database, mm. you know, because yes. um, that is irrefutable yeah. because that is the CDC official statistics That's right. that no, nobody can refute. That's right. And so, and We're actually going to get into some of those numbers here in, in a moment. So not to step on what you're saying there, uh, I, I did want to take a moment here uh, to just acknowledge Dr. Peter Andrew McCullough. Yes. Who is a cardiologist who served as vice chief of inter- internal medicine at Baylor University Medical Center. You ever uh, in Dallas? In, in, he was in Dallas. He was in Dallas. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so then there's Robert Malone. Right. And Robert Malone uh, actually was instrumental in helping to invent mRNA technology. Uh, and, and that's the technology that they used uh, for the Pfizer and the Moderna jabs. Right. So, uh, both of these medical professionals are, would you say, vaccine hesitant at this point? They're, they're not anti-vaxxers like yourself. They're all for vaccinations. Right. But they're, specific, they're, they're weary this of, specific thing. of this specific thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, actually, if you look at the demographic of those, the group that is most likely to be, quote, vaccine hesitant, it is PhDs. The two highest groups... Uh, yeah. of those who are hesitant uh, of this vaccine are PhDs and high school dropouts. And we were both represented <laughs> right here. So I dropped out in high school. That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then I got on track. No. <laughs> so yeah. two completely different paths. And, and then here we are. So just amazing what God can do. So I, I just want to take a, take a moment to talk about the question mark about vaccines being these vaccines specifically being safe and effective. And and listen, I know that there's anti-vaxxers in our church, like complete anti-vaxxers. I know that there are those who are anti this vax, but not anti all the other vaccines. Uh, And then I know that there are those who have received the vaccine and, and we're grateful to do it. You know, so, so the, the spectrum uh, in this fellowship uh, is across the whole, the whole board. You know, there are those who have received the vaccine and wish they hadn't. You know, uh, there are those who, you know, um, haven't received the vaccine and might go out and get it after this meeting. So, <laughs> you know, everyone is welcome yeah. here. Yeah. There's, no, there's right. churches out there that are dividing their congregation <clears throat> based on vaccinations. And that, that will not be happening here. No. We, are, we are not, uh, you know, uh, going to do that here at this church, you know. And, and uh, I like the way that uh, Paul put it. Uh, it's in Romans chapter 14 where he says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Yeah. Such an important verse for us to remember that, you know, regardless of whether you think the unvaccinated is the weak Christian or the vaccinated is the weak Christian, I mean, you, we, we're all going to have a different opinion about this, but regardless of who you think is the weak brother or sister in Christ, we're to, we're to receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. 
And, and this is most certainly one of those doubtful yeah. or debatable things that could divide a, a, a congregation. And I just pray that, that that'll never happen here. You know, and, and I just want to make sure that everybody recognizes that regardless of your vaccination status, this is a church for Christians. Jesus didn't die for the vaccinated only. He, he didn't die for the unvaccinated only. It's, you know, he, he uh, has died for the sins of the world, and those who trust in him receive the benefit of that regardless of your vaccination status. So, so just with that, I do want to take a little time to just consider some of the pros and the cons of this you know, so-called safe and effective vaccine. There, there are some benefits for the vaccine, wouldn't you agree? Uh, I think that there can be very, in my view, again, very short-term benefits, yep. uh, but short-term, like months. So, yeah. And uh, but it's at a significant cost, in my view. So, sure. any benefit is. <clears throat> There yeah. does there does seem to be you know some level of science like if you look at uh, the, the latest UK information, mm-hmm. there does seem to be a, a benefit uh, for those with the single shot over those who haven't received a, a shot at all. So when it comes to hospitalizations and when it comes to uh, mortality, you know, and, and and I would want to get into the unvaccinated group to see where they offered you know something like an ivermectin or a hydroxychloroquine or you know I, so I'd want to know. What else, what, were there any other treatments offered to the unvaccinated group? You know, but just, just looking at the UK data, uh, what we see is that the unvaccinated group has more hospitalizations and more uh, deaths than the one-dose vaccinated group, right? But then when you add into that the second group, which is the two doses, and then the third group, which, which is the three, the booster shot, yeah the whole camp of vaccinated people is way higher. And we'll get into the numbers here in a minute. But, but I do see, at least in, in, in the short term, that there does seem to be less severe symptoms you know, for those who have re- received at least one dose of this uh, and somewhat of a faster recovery time for a virus that they shouldn't have gotten after getting vaccinated. <laughs> right? so, and there's the rub, is that if you receive a vaccine, then you shouldn't get the virus. Uh, so the very fact that there still are hospitalizations and, uh, and, and then transmission of, of the virus, kind of like you pointed out, would seem to take this vaccine out of the vaccine camp and, and put it into something more like a, a therapeutic. But then uh, that brings up the con of the vaccine doesn't always stop infection. The, con, uh, the second con is that it won't stop transmission unvaccinated and vaccinated people can both get the virus and can both transmit the virus uh, to others. Uh, But then the, the con that I'm, uh, the con for the vaccine that that I'm most concerned about are the, the potential adverse reactions. Um, Now the majority of recipients seem to be fine at this point, right? Uh, The minority of recipients, however, uh, however, um, the VAERS data, which has, which has pointed out, as you know, and you'll show that over a million significant yep. uh, issues, complications. But there's underreporting, too. There, there most certainly is underreporting, um, and, and we don't know by how much. Uh, yep. But so 
So the minority of recipients are the ones who have had the adverse reactions. Right. Because when, when we look at the report, it, it is a relatively small number of people compared to the total, number of, to the total people. number of people who have right. received the vaccines, right? Right. right. So I, I'm not trying to communicate tonight that you know, every single person who gets the vaccine is going to have an adverse reaction. Right. Because the data doesn't... doesn't small fraction. It's, it's a small fraction. But we don't know exactly what that fraction is. But if you're the one with the adverse reaction, what does it matter how many other people have an adverse reaction? For you, it's 100% of the people. Right. Right? If you're the one who ends up, you know, having an adverse reaction to the vaccine, then for you, it might as well be 100%, right? Right. Because it hit you, right? So uh, since the, uh, the rollout, Vayers has received... Uh, 1,168,892 reports of adverse reactions. That's worldwide. But it's mainly America, right? But, but that, is the worldwide, uh, that is the worldwide reporting system. And it's important to understand that these, uh, these reports haven't been substantiated. At the same time, if you go and file a VAERS report, it tells you before you file you know, your report that it's a felony if you're presenting information that's false. Right. So no one's just going to go onto the VAERS, you know, reporting system and say, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm about to commit a felony just, you know, just to pull a fast one here. You know, that, that's not happening. But according to the VAERS people, the people who are in charge of VAERS, which uh, again stands for uh, Vaccine <clears throat> Adverse Events Reports, right? So this is just, this has been in operation since the 90s. Uh, right. It's the place where the CDC collects, you know, reports about adverse reactions to all vaccines. But when you uh, dial into just the COVID vaccines, we've got over a million reports so far of adverse reactions, uh, and, and this includes twenty-five thousand deaths. Now, now understand that twenty-five thousand is a very, very small number in comparison to how many people worldwide have received the vaccine. But for that person who's burying their, their mom, their grandma, their father, whatever, it, it, you know, does that small number, because it's a small number, does that... The, well, the thing that concerns me is that for all previous vaccines, they would have been stopped once you reached 50 Just 50? Deaths. Yeah. That's my understanding. Yeah. So a really small number. Um, so, and I, the other thing about it, though, is just the fact is the, the scope and severity of these adverse events, mm. because it includes blindness, uh, sudden death, yep. uh, stroke, you know, heart attack, myocarditis, pulmonary embolism. So these are severe things. We actually have, <clears throat> according to Vayers, uh, over 130,000 hospitalizations from, from the vaccine, 130,000. 14,000 cases of Bell's palsy, uh, 4,000 miscarriages. You know, that, that's 4,000 babies. Uh, 13,000 heart attacks, 46,000 reports of permanent disabilities, like you're pointing out, blindness or some other situation. I, I know that some people have lost function of, you know, of their limbs and you know, other things. Uh, 40,000 cases of myocarditis and pericarditis. Can you explain those, those two things? Myocarditis is inflammation of the in, interior lining of the heart, and pericarditis is inflammation of the sac around the heart. 
And, and there's a so, lot of a lot of young men that are right. ending up with this after receiving the vaccine. Right. Is that life altering? Are, are these are these do they, do they just go away or is it? Is it, it, it can be. It can be permanent. So. So uh, like a, a a teenage boy who was an active football player could develop. Yeah, ongoing cardiac issues. Could this potentially explain the sudden death syndrome that we're that we're watching happen with soccer players and, and gymnasts? And it's possible. Possible. Yeah, and my my big concern about it is, it is just it's clear to me that you can't look at those numbers and say, as a blanket statement, safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. You know. No, it's not. It's not. You know, I mean, it depends on your definition of safety. But I would rather have someone say, it's not, you know, there are risks. There are possible complications, including these things. Would you like to take it? Mm -hmm. Okay. But again, it's in a context because my other big concern is looking at the population studies that show in large populations that are highly vaccinated they're still having really high rates of COVID hospitalizations and death. Yep. So if, it, if there were a benefit, you know, population-wide, then I might even consider, well, maybe I'll take a risk of having blindness because there are reports. I know of three people through other friends of mine. Uh, I don't know those people, but friends know them who have experienced deg- different degrees of blindness. Mm. And to me, that would be an unacceptable risk. I, you know, if, if I have a 0.1% chance, I might not do it. Yeah. Unless I really felt there was a huge benefit. Hmm. There's so much more to get through here, and I know our time is wrapping up. <clears throat> Wanted to uh, maybe skip through some of this so the PowerPoint team uh, can keep up with me here. Uh, I, I wanted to address the latest UK, UK data, um, and, and similar data is coming from Scotland, uh, and uh, you know we're we're, we're definitely and we're definitely seeing the same thing coming out of Israel, uh, and it has to do with the question of is the uh, is the vaccine waning in efficacy, or is it causing an erosion of the natural immune system? This is you know a, a kind of a, a sticky wicket that, uh, you know, just to put it in UK terminology, but, uh, <laughs> Hey, right Bob there. is my uncle, by the way. But anyway, so the, the, the point being though, is that they're, they're seeing, uh, the vaccine by the fourth shot, you know, the, by, by the fourth shot or the second booster, you know, that the effectiveness of the safe and effective vaccine is less effective than, than any other shot, right? And it's just each one gets less and less effective. But but then you've got the group of doctors who are saying it's not that the it's not that the vaccine is changing, but that there is an erosion uh, of the uh, immune system that that's taking place. And uh, uh, just to uh, just to put it uh, put it in the terms of uh, former Pfizer Vice President Michael Eden. Uh, he says that if immune erosion occurs after two doses and just a few months, 
How can we exclude the possibility that effects of an untested booster will not erode more rapidly and to greater extent? Uh, and what then would be the response? A fourth injection? Madness. Uh, and then he also says this. This is former Pfizer Vice President, President Michael Yeadon. He, he says this. If the Swedish study is a guide, and he's appealing to this Swedish study, if the Swedish study is a guide, we should anticipate seeing this immune erosion more widely. The most concerning aspect of that study is that those most in need of protection are those in whom immune erosion is most marked, the elderly, males, and those with comorbidities. So, so here's uh, the ex-vice you know, president of Pfizer sounding the alarm of the potential uh, you know, immune system erosion that could potentially be caused by you know, these mRNA vaccines. Uh, so just to go through some, some quick data here, uh, according to the UK Health Security Agency, uh, COVID-19 valence surveillance report from March 3rd, so you know, just, what, two weeks ago? Uh, so throughout the month of February, the vaccinated population accounted for 86% of all COVID-19 hospitalizations among those 18 and older. Throughout the f- month of February, last month, the vaccinated population accounted for 86% of all COVID-19 hospitalizations of those 18 and older. What does that tell you? Nine in 10 COVID deaths in the UK last month were of vaccinated people. Four out of five of those deaths were amongst the triple vaxxed. Four out of five. This seems to be real world evidence of vaccine induced acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. But I guess time will tell if the science actually bears that out or not. So, um, skipping ahead, we're, we're watching increasing death, death rates. Indiana Life Insurance CEO says in the third quarter of 2021, deaths are up 40% among people ages 18 to 64. If, if you understand uh, insurance uh, statistics and, and uh, the, the work of the, uh, I believe it's called an actuator, uh, am I correct about that? Actuary. A- a- what is Actuary. Thank you. Actuary, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, the whole in- insurance industry uh, is based on their gamble that their numbers about the age of a person and how reckless they are, <laughs> uh, you know, that they're able to work the numbers so that they profit from our, you know, mistakes and, and illnesses. You can talk to Larry about it later. But... Uh, <laughs> But their, their, their whole business is betting uh, against, you know, whether you're going to get sick or not. So they, they follow this data very, very closely so that they can continue making money. And, and, and so the Indiana Life Insurance CEO says in the third quarter of 2021, deaths are up 40% among people aged uh, 18 to 64, work, you know, prime age people. Deaths are up 40%. That's massive. Prudential paid out. 87% more in death benefits in the third quarter of 2021. We're not talking about 2020. When we just had the pandemic, we're talking 2021 when we had the vaccines also. So 87% more in death benefits in the third quarter of 2021 than it did in the third quarter of 2020. 
Pacific Life reports annuity claims are up by over 80%. New York Life paid out 27% more in death benefits in 2021 than in 2020. Lincoln National reported death claims have increased 54% in quarter four of 2021 compared to 2019. Uh, Funeral homes are, are posting an increase in burials and cremations in 2021 over 2020. What do you make of all that data? Um, it's it's hard to know for sure, yeah. but it is it's a concern that it could be related to this newer intervention. So there's a there's a possibility that this increase of excess deaths could be caused by some sort of degradation of the immune system, or or uh, you know because we're not seeing the same numbers from 2020 when, we had right. the, when, when the virus was here. And, and let's not forget that the Omicron is allegedly the, 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 right. the, the least impactful, right? So we watched the, the, the mortality rate with Omicron just you know, be very, very low in comparison to Delta or even Alpha. Right. So it's all speculation it's just, from it's, here, huh? It's, it's hard to really <laughs> pinpoint that, but I, but I think those numbers are real. Here's what researcher Steve Kirsch goes on to insist about this data, you know, about this, the excess, excess deaths that are happening. He says the cause doesn't appear to be food or air-based pathogens, so we can rule that out. Then he also declared, I note that the variety of causes of death is consistent with the wide range of adverse events caused by the COVID vaccines. Right. So he takes the adverse reactions that we read about there at Bayer's, and he says, oh, well, all of this is happening here in these excess deaths in 2021. Can I just take a moment Please. just to talk about the mechanism of action of these vaccines? Please. <clears throat> because I think by now probably everyone understands kind of the basics of how these work. Uh, but, but essentially, in case there's somebody that doesn't really understand that, <clears throat> these are artificially created um, messenger RNA sequences that are put in nanoparticles, really tiny, tiny particles. And injected into the deltoid muscle. And initially the thought was that it would pretty much stay in the deltoid muscle or maybe go to the lymph nodes after it was injected. And uh, we, we know now pretty convincingly that that's not the case. It goes all throughout your body. And actually there was um, animal lab research evidence even ahead of time that that happened. Uh, but Interesting. But the thing about it is what happens is these nanoparticles travel through your bloodstream and they basically, wherever they end up, they adhere to the cell and, and then dump that payload of the messenger RNA into the cell. And then the messenger RNA transcribes or creates a protein. So in the protein that it creates is the spike protein. And so the thing that is really interesting is that if this goes to your endothelial lining, you know, lining of blood vessels, then those blood vessels are going to create the spike protein. Okay, if it, it can go through the blood-brain barrier, so it can go into your brain. If it goes into your brain, it can, the cells, wherever it drops that payload, it instructs it to create the spike protein. And the thing about it is, the thing that causes damage from the virus is... The spike protein. The spike protein. How about that? So the treatment is actually creating or mimicking what the virus does. Okay, and so, 
and it's ostensibly in the name of creating an antibody response to the spike protein, but that also totally discounts your body's own innate ability to fight that off, um, and it doesn't necessarily recruit the T cells and some of the other immunologic cells. It's just the antibodies. Um, but so that's a concern because it's, it's instructing your cells to create something that we know is harmful. And the spike protein actually we know causes platelets to aggregate. And platelets cause clotting. So when you have uh, spike protein in little vessels, it can cause a clot. So that's a potential mechanism for, you know, why you could get a heart attack. Because if you get inflammation of the... Of the coronary arteries, you could get a clot there, which could cause a problem. That's why aspirin is actually recommended. If somebody has an acute episode, just start aspirin. You know, people that are on blood thinners are probably less likely to have some of these clotting issues. Mm. But part of the reason why ventilators did not work is because one of the mechanisms of, of disease is to have clots in the lungs. And so the blood flow does not go through the lungs. So even if you're oxygenating, it's just not flowing through. It's, right. a, it's a plumbing problem, you know. Um, but there's also now actually experimental evidence out of Sweden where they literally have looked in vitro in a Petri dish with liver cells, and they have found that the mRNA actually can be reverse transcribed yes. through reverse transcriptase. And that just means the messenger RNA can then create a strand of DNA, and that DNA can then get into your genome. And it's kind of like with the herpes virus, that, that, that type of virus. That happens fairly often with herpes viruses, and that's why you can have outbreaks, because it's incorporated into the DNA, and it can, through certain circumstances, be reactivated. But, you know, there is a concern that uh, especially... And I'm, I'm just giving this as informed consent so people are at least aware and you could do your own research. But there is a concern with the vaccines that that might happen more often than related to a native virus. Yeah. So, Yeah, the study is called Intracellular Reverse Transcription of Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 mRNA Vaccine BNT162B2 in vitro in human liver cell line. You can that go one. check it out for yourself. <laughs> Here's what Dr. Peter McCullough, yeah, just, yeah. you know, if you're interested in a, in a scientific research yeah. paper. But uh, if, if you want a link to it, just, just email me and I'll, I'll send you the link. But uh, Dr. Peter McCullough recently shared his concerns about this research uh, that, that you're referring to. It says if it turns out that the entire code goes into human chromosomes and if it expresses spike protein within cells, spike protein is an abnormal protein. It is not a human protein. If this protein is expressed within human cells on a regular basis or on demand, and it's passed from parent cells to daughter cells, and it's passed to developing embryo, we're in trouble. So the very thing that you're getting injected with, the spike protein, basically, or the, the, the message right. that goes into your RNA... And, and to create protein, to create this spike protein, which right. is a toxin. Right. Dr. Peter McCullough is saying, if this gets into your cells. Well, to be clear about yeah, that, please. you know, basically, most of the time that might not happen because it would happen in just your 
your uh, non-gonadal tissue. Right. You know, but if it got into your gonadal tissue, then potentially it could be something that would be passed down genetically. And I think, again, mm. my concern about that is why is this not being discussed? Why is this not being brought out? Yeah. Safe and effective. Mm. So. If we could alert uh, children's ministry that we're just going to go just a little bit long and, uh, and, and just pass out the duct tape. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> implement duct tape protocol. So, <laughs> so uh, seriously, um, probably going to need Gorilla Glue. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, all right. So, uh, you know, there, there's a whole lot more that we wanted to cover tonight, and, and we'll have to have you back at some point to, to do this again. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there, you listen, again, we're not dividing this church up over vaccinated versus unvaccinated. We're not here to condemn people who have received the vaccine or condemn people who have not received the vaccine. I, I, I think that yeah. we're on the same page that everyone should be presented with all the data so that we can consider the risk versus the reward and then, you know, someone in one age group and with certain comorbidities might make a decision different from someone in another age group. Uh, I know that uh, Ron DeSantis recently had uh, a conversation with a bunch of doctors, a whole panel of doctors. And at the end of the, the, the whole thing, he came out and said that Florida is the first state to encourage parents to not vaccinate their children. And I just <laughs> wanted to jump up and down yeah. because yeah. there is no reason to put this vaccine in our kids. There is no reason to put this vaccine in our teenagers. They are not at any risk unless they have comorbidities and, and right. you know, some other complication that, well, you know, at that point in time, you want to start weighing the risks and the rewards. And, right. you know, I agree with that. And I'm glad you brought that out. I think another thing is there's very strong evidence that natural immunity works really well. Like the one that God gave us. Correct. Correct. In fact, I believe, you know, that it works much better. If so. you don't have comorbidities and, you right. know, so, yeah, there's factors. And, you know, you know I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to sit up here and say no one should ever at all ever receive this vaccine. There might be a benefit to it. It might be short-lived. You might not, you know, have an adverse reaction to it. But you might, you know, there is a small percentage. Yeah. But, but here's what I do know is, is that it's unnecessary. And, and that's the most important thing for us to re realize. At this point in time, we know that, you know, ivermectin kills this thing, you know, within 48 hours <clears throat> and starts repairing, you know, and stopping the, the uh, viral replication in the lungs. We know that hydroxychloroquine helps with, with uh, recovery. We know that zinc we know that the Z pack is going to help with recovery. We know that melatonin. Yes. You were waiting for that one, weren't you? It helps with Alzheimer's, uh, too. What's your name again? Dementia. Uh, I think I remember you. Yeah. Who, who are you? Yeah. What are we talking about? So, so yeah, me melatonin yeah. helps with, yeah. with brain function. Right. Helps you to get, get a good night's sleep as well. Right. Uh, Famotidine, mm -hmm. which is found in Pepsid AC, you know, stops the viral replication in the lungs. Vitamin D, vitamin C. Vitamin yeah. D, vitamin... Just go out and get some sun. Aspirin, aspirin. That's, that's, that's really, one of those things. When, yeah. when the city shut down the parks here in Austin, I'm just like, well, what in the world are you doing? Get, get these kids out in the sun, get them playing, 
you know, get, get their heart rate up because that's more beneficial than, than any of these things that they're trying to fill us with. Uh, you know, real quick, you can detox from the vaccine. And, and there are great studies that present us with lots of good information on, you know, if you've received the vaccine and you've had an adverse reaction, you don't feel the same sense then, you don't, you know, whatever the case, there are ways to detox. Uh, and, and it begins with not getting a booster. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, you know, but you can detox and, and try to get your health back if if, if the, the vaccine actually did do some damage. Uh, but 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 then on the other side of this, let's let's address real quick. You know, is this vaccine the mark of the beast? Because you do have yeah. Christians insisting yeah. that if you if you receive the vaccine, you know, you you took the mark. Yeah. And and I I would say I I totally agree with you that it's clearly not because yeah. that will be a a in my view a voluntary thing that will also involve worshiping the Antichrist. Right. But I do believe yep. that there are things that are like harbingers that are kind of red flags mm. to me because we're not there yet. But the fact that already, to a certain extent, quote, you can't buy or sell without that, you know, in a manner of speaking, it's just concerning. Yeah. It's concerning. And also there are things coming down the pipe just to be aware of. Yeah, and I mean, those are that's fresh food for future thought. Yeah, but, no doubt. Yeah. You know, we we I had more to go here with the Revelation thirteen. You can read right. Revelation thirteen on your own. This you know gets into the mark of the beast and how the false prophet will come along and force you to worship as you receive this mark. No one's going to accidentally receive the mark of the beast. And, and so if this is a fear that you've had, that what if they somehow sneak it in, they get the, the nanobots coming in my room like Minority Report, and they inject me in, the, you know, I'm going to hell. You know, no, it's not, it, it's not like that. It's an act of worship to the Antichrist as you receive his mark so that you can be a part of the global economy that he is uh, running at that point in time. Also, the mark of the beast is going to be something that is, uh, uh, you know, uh, offered and, and, you know, through coercion, of course, uh, but uh, it will be available. You'll have an option. After the rapture. Yeah, you will have an <laughs> yeah, option. You, you, have an you option can get the mark or you or, can not eat. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but this is all going down after the rapture of the church. And uh, if you would like some evidence on why I place the mark of the beast after the rapture of the church, go check out the uh, uh, the study I did, the uh, the, the uh, end time or the uh, the prophecy update that I did back in January. I go into greater detail there. Uh, but listen, we are seeing the the, the vaccine passports, uh, you know, being tied together with potential biochips. And for example, December seventeenth, uh, Ch- uh, South China Morning Post profiled a Swedish startup hub called Epicenter, where employees are already receiving implanted microchips. And the spokesperson from Epicenter said these implanted microchips are a convenient way for people to present their vaccination status wherever it's required. Well, you, you certainly see that being the groundwork for what will probably become the mark of the beast. So is this the mark of the beast? Absolutely not. Anybody who would try to tell you that this vaccine is the mark of the beast doesn't know what the Bible says. And I'm here to tell you, you know, if you've received the vaccine and, and you've been concerned since then because someone told you it's the mark of the beast, trust me, I want to tell you it's not. But we are seeing the groundwork. You, you call it the harbinger. Uh, harbinger. Uh, and, and, and I agree with that, that this is kind of like the, you know, the red flag right. saying, hey, this is coming soon. 
but thankfully the church will be raptured for evidence on this. First Thessalonians chapter four. You can go check that out. You can check out my study from the prophecy update in January. Uh, but, but ultimately I want you to leave with this so that we can release you to, you know, go and, and, uh, release our, our children's ministry, uh, servants right now. Uh, I, I want to remind you that Christian, we are victorious right now. And, and we're watching the world scrambling and we're watching globalists doing everything they can to get the world prepared for the Antichrist. If you can't see that, you're, you're not paying attention. It, it is so clear, crystal clear to me, that we are watching uh, these globalists uh, preparing the, 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 uh, the world for the rise of the Antichrist. Um, and, and with that, I just want to remind you of what Paul wrote, wrote, uh, wrote in Romans chapter 8. He asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Not one thing. Your unvaccination status will not separate you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Your vaccination status will not separate you from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one created thing can separate us from his love. And that's good news. We are more than conquerors, Christian, even right now. And it might not feel like it. It might feel like the whole world is you know, collapsing in around us. We've got these gas prices. We've got these food prices. We've got this World War III brewing. We've got this. You know, it just seems like every time we turn around, there's just one more issue. We've got bird flu you know, killing all the birds on the East Coast. It just seems like every time we turn around, there's more bad news. And yet, listen, these are just the beginning of troubles. But we don't have to be troubled. We don't have to live in fear. We can rest in the victory that Jesus Christ secured there on the cross. With that, I encourage you, rather than getting caught up in all of this, rather than living in fear of all these things, I remind you that we have one calling. We have one commissioning, which is to go into the world, preaching the gospel, making disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's our calling. That's our commission. And that's what we ought to be doing. Let's help others to receive the true vaccination. You might not know this, but we were all born with a virus. It's called sin. We were all born with a sinful nature which affects our entire being. And the only vaccination for this is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a blood transfusion, if you will. And if you've received that vaccination, then help someone else who hasn't. Help someone else to to recognize that these bodies will all die unless we're raptured. There, there's, there's not one medication that will stop the day of your death. Might prolong it. You might live a little bit longer. But these bodies will not enter into eternity. We're going to receive a brand new body. 
that won't need surgery from this guy. (laughs) (laughs) But the only way that we're going to receive that brand new body is by faith in Jesus Christ, because he's the one who heals the sin virus that we've all contracted. So with that, I encourage you with the last days that we have before us, let's just remember that, you know, it's fun to talk about all these things. It's, it's exciting to investigate them. I, I spend a lot of time, you know, studying this stuff, and I know you yeah. do too, yeah. but all with the goal of bringing people to the gospel, bringing people to Jesus, bringing people to the cross so that they can be saved. And that's my heart for you guys as well. Let's make an impact on this community by preaching the gospel of grace so that people can be saved. Amen? Well, I know that we have kids in the